So before we get into Psalm 81, I want to remind you this is uh, our Psalms Emphasis Month, the month of July, and this year we're focused on the middle Psalms, and we're reading the Psalms, and we're memorizing one of the Psalms, and we're preaching on the Psalms. But another thing that we're doing is we're encouraging people to have devotions, family devotions at home focused on these Psalms. And so uh, eight of our ministers have put together some brief devotional videos. I want you to see on the screen what this looks like online so that uh, you can go there and you can see this. So if you go to the Psalms page on our website, this is what it looks like. And then if you scroll down a little bit, you'll see the videos of the, uh, of the different ministers, eight ministers, each sharing just five or six minutes on one of the Psalms. I would encourage you, watch these in the evening. There are eight of them. We have a great staff. They have done a fantastic job. And um, eight days left in the month of July. So if you have not watched these videos, uh, one a day will get you to the end. And if you're wondering how we put that together, uh, we just decided that order-wise, we'd start with the best-looking guy on staff, and then we'd just work our way down the list. So I do the first video, and uh, Grant and Caleb West are taking care of the last two, and you can catch those, you can catch those online. So if you have your Bible, we're in Psalm 81. You know, often when we read the book of Psalms, we read of the loving kindness of God. We read of how much God cares for us and takes care of us. In fact, if you have read already today the assigned reading, you read in Psalm 89. Let me just read some of that. Psalm 89, verse 1, I will sing about the Lord's faithful love forever. I will proclaim your faithfulness to all generations. And then we also, we just read the first 20 verses, I think, of Psalm 89 today. Uh, But verse 15 says, happy are the people uh, who know the joyful shout. That means happy are those who know how to worship the Lord. Lord, they walk in the light from your face, they rejoice in your name all day long, and they are exalted by your righteousness, for you are their magnificent strength. Uh, we read just this past Friday, Psalm eighty-six, ten and 13, which says, you are great, Lord, and you perform great wonders. Your faithful love for me is great, and you rescue me from the depths. But I want to talk today not just about the loving kindness of God as it's expressed in the blessings that he pours into our lives, but I want to talk about the least benevolent thing God does. At least from our perspective, what is the worst thing that God does? We, we read in the Psalms so often of the great things that God does, but, but does God sometimes do things in our lives that at least from our perspective are difficult things or hard things or terrible things perhaps? That's what I want to focus on just for a few minutes this morning. What do you think is the most terrifying thing that God might ever do in your life? You know, when we think of the fear of the Lord, we're, 
we're thinking often of the ways that God disciplines his children. The Bible says in Hebrews chapter 12 that God disciplines his children, those that he loves, because he cares for them and he wants them to go down the right paths. And so we think of the discipline of the Lord, all different ways that God might bring discipline in our lives. But what do you think could possibly be the scariest, the most terrifying thing that the Lord might do in our lives? Do you know what it is? I'll give you a moment to think of it. What is the scariest thing, the most terrifying thing the Lord might do? Well, as it turns out, the most terrifying thing is not something that the Lord would do, but I think it is something that the Lord would stop doing. And I want to show you that in Psalm 81, verse 12. And we're going to look at some further verses in Psalm 81, but let's just start with this one. Psalm 81, 12, so I gave them over to their stubborn hearts to follow their own plans. Let's look at that closely. It begins with the simple word, so. That means this is contingent upon some some activities that happen in the verses that precede this, some things that, that the followers of God failed to do. And because they failed to do those things now, so God is going to do what he mentions here in verse 12. So because of their uh, conduct, because of their faith, faithlessness, he says in verse 12, I gave them over. See, here's the frightening part, that God at some point may just let us have what we want, that at some point God may just let us go where we want to go, that at some point God may just allow us to chase after what our deceitful, wicked hearts desire to chase after. See, one of the greatest gifts that God has given to His children is the restraining influence of the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit within me, the Holy Spirit within us, restrains us from so many things that our hearts would go to without the Holy Spirit. And here he threatens, here he warns that he might take away the restraining influence of the Holy Spirit and he might give us over. He might give us over. There are times in scripture where this is spoken of in the lives of those who don't know the Lord that God gives them over. And there are times in scripture where the Bible talks about God giving his children over at least for a time to their deceitful hearts. I'll I'll share some of this. Second Chronicles 24, 20 says, because you have abandoned the Lord, he has abandoned you because the Israelites continually disobeyed, continually abandoned the Lord, finally the Lord says, okay, that's what you want, that's what you'll get. And I think of Romans 128, because they did not think it worthwhile to acknowledge God, God delivered them over to a corrupt mind so that they do what is not right. That people pushed against the the commands of God so often that finally God just removed the restraint and said, I'll give you over to your lustful hearts. This is a 
scary thing, but something the Bible testifies that the Lord will choose to do to bring discipline in the life of his children, he will give them over. In fact, there's even a reference uh, in the book of 1 Corinthians to, to a church giving somebody over. Now, the Bible says, the Apostle Paul instructs us that if we have within the church someone who is guilty of sexual sin and who is unrepentant, then what should we do? We should give them over. We should at some point after we've gone to them and we've pleaded with them and we've worked and tried to help them come to a place of repentance and faithfulness that if they continue to refuse that eventually we just give them over with the hopes that that they'll return. 1 Corinthians 5, I'll read those verses. It says, when you are assembled in the name of the Lord Jesus and I am with you in spirit with the power of our Lord Jesus, hand that one over to Satan for the destruction of the flesh, so that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord. And so it says here in verse 12 that because of the actions, Psalm 81, 12, because of the actions of the Israelites, God gave them over. Well, let's continue to read. God gave them over to what? It says God gave them over to their stubborn hearts to follow their own plans. Now, what is stubborn hearts? What, what does that mean? God gave them over to their stubborn hearts. Well, stubbornness is just the refusal to listen to people who are giving us counsel. And here, a stubborn heart is a heart that refuses to listen to the Lord, a, a heart that refuses to abide by God's wisdom and God's instruction. So he says, you continue to, to push against the wisdom of God. Okay, I'll just give you over to that stubborn heart. And then he says, right at the end of verse 12, to follow their own plans. Instead of following the plans of the Lord, we follow, we're given over to follow the, the lust of our hearts. We're given over to follow the, the wickedness and the deceit of our hearts. Scariest thing I can think of that God might do in the life of a believer is right here in verse 12. So God gave them over. I, I want you to see if we can have a word picture of this. So imagine there's a boat, uh, not a cruise ship boat, but not a little fishing boat, just a boat, a medium-sized boat. And it is, uh, it's tied to the dock uh, with uh, uh, two or three ropes, four or five ropes, I'm not sure. It's just, it's tied firmly to the dock. And then a great storm comes. And the winds blow and there are waves and those waves push against that boat and that boat pulls against those ropes. As the water rises and the water falls, those ropes are stretched and tugged and pulled. What would be the worst thing that could happen to that boat? The worst thing is if those ropes were to break, Right? The worst thing in that storm that could happen to that boat is that the ropes come loose and then the boat is free of the dock, but, but then the boat will drift into dangerous waters and it will end up on the rocks and it will capsize and it will sink. You see, the ropes that the boat was pulling against were the lifelines that boat needed in order to be safe in the storm. But if the boat is just released, then there's no predicting what will happen. 
God gave them over to their stubborn hearts and to follow their own plans. At some point, God just cuts the ropes loose. I am. I thought of another word picture. Um, Often we see kids will be given, maybe it's their birthday, they're they're given some balloons, helium balloons, a little ribbon, and you see kids uh, happy about their balloons and they're walking around, little kids. Now the, the helium in that balloon does what? Well, it's lighter than air, and so it um, causes the balloon to want to rise. And, and you know, maybe this is pushing an illustration too far, but that's, that's at least a little bit of a picture of our tendency to move away from God, right? We're always trying to pull away from God. And so that, that balloon is uh, at the end of the ribbon and the kid holds the other end. What happens if the kid lets go of the, of the ribbon? Well, the balloon goes and it's gone. And now it is just subject to the winds. It'll go wherever it's going to go. And the kid can cry and the kid can scream and the kid can beg. But the balloon now belongs to the wind, not the kid. And so in verse 12, it says, So God gave them over to their stubborn hearts and to follow their own plans. Listen, church, I, I think... That is exactly what has happened in the lives of very many Christians. That God, because he loves you and he disciplines his children, for some God has just given us over to our stubborn minds and to our own plans. We have a faith that has been set adrift And you can see this, if it's true in your life, you can see this a number of ways. You can see this in the worldliness of your entertainment and your amusements. What are the things that you find entertaining? What are the things you enjoy watching on television or uh, looking at on the internet? And, And oftentimes, that's as far as you need to look to see that maybe God has given you over to stubborn minds hearts and to your own plans. I, I think another way you can see that your faith is adrift is that you lack a consistent commitment to church. You know, there was a, there was a day not too many days ago, not too many years ago, that uh, what it meant to be faithful to church uh, meant that you were here 50 times a year. Now, when we talk about somebody being faithful to church, we mean somebody that comes 20 times a year. And we've changed the definition over the last 10 years. And I think that's an indication that oftentimes people have a faith that is adrift. Uh, Lackluster worship, uh, loss of joy in serving the Lord and loving other people, uh, lack of joy in giving, uh, We lose the burden for lost people to come to know the Lord. Those are all indicators that even as a child of God, that the Lord may have given us over to to a stubborn heart. Well, what do we do if our faith is adrift? What do we do? In Hebrews chapter 2 verse 1, it says this, For this reason, because our faith 
can be adrift. For this reason, we must pay attention all the more to what we have heard so that we will not drift away. We need to pay attention to the counsel of God's word. So let's look back into Psalm 81. We've, we've looked pretty closely now at verse 12. God gave them over to their stubborn hearts. But the three or four verses that precede that tell us what uh, caused God to do what he did. And then the three or four verses that follow it uh, give us some good news about the disposition of the Lord toward those whose faith is adrift. But let's start with the verses that, that come before. What leads to a faith adrift? There are three things here. We find the first in verse eight. It is a failure to listen to the Lord. A failure to listen to the Lord. So look with me. Psalm 81, 8. Listen, my people, and I will admonish you. Israel, if you will only listen to me. Now, if you've been reading the Psalms with us this month of July, you have heard the psalmist say, I think this is interesting, over and over, you have heard the psalmist complain that God is not listening to him. But here's the truth. The real problem is that he's not listening to God, right? And so one of the reasons, the first reason that God gives them over to their stubborn hearts is that they will not listen. Now, what does he mean by not listening? I don't think he just means that we need to read our Bibles and go to church. Now, I think you should read your Bible and go to church, but I, th I think this is much more than that. He's talking about really listening to the Lord. He's talking about having a, a dialogue in your heart and your mind as you listen to the Lord. Asking questions like this, Lord, how should my attitude be different today? I've heard, I've heard your word preached. So now what should my attitude be? What should I be more thankful for today? In what ways have I let worldliness creep into my life? How can I better honor you today? How can I show others the love of Christ today? We need to actively listen to the Lord and see what the Lord is saying to us in our lives that would impact how we honor him, the attitudes that we have, the things that we do, the things that we repent of. We need to truly listen to the Lord. I, uh, I was thinking about how to explain this this, this week. I, I thought about the difference between reading a, a news article and reading a recipe. I'm not much of a cook, but occasionally I will read a recipe. And you read a recipe entirely different than you read a news article. When I'm reading a news article, I'm really just casually reading for, for content. I, th there's no urgency. There's no to-do list that comes out of the news article. I'm just, I'm just reading it and gleaning a little bit of information. I'm just reading it. It's a very casual thing. But when I'm reading a recipe, I am filled with questions. And you know, if if you've ever cooked anything at all, you know how you read a recipe. You're, you're reading through here and you're asking questions. Do I have some of that? Do I have that ingredient? Do I have this ingredient? Do I need to go to the store and buy that other ingredient? How much of this does it take? How long is it going to take me to do this? When do I need to start? Do I even know what that means? That's what I'm asking a lot of times. Uh, when we're reading a recipe, we're having a dialogue in our minds because that recipe is going to change our 
behavior, right? It's going to change our schedule. It's going to change what we do. We read a recipe entirely differently than we read the news article. That's the way we need to hear and listen to the Lord. The Lord has something for you today in this service, in the songs that we have sung, in the testimony that you heard, in the message that I'm preaching. Are you listening? I mean, really listening. Lord, how does that change how I'm going to live I'm going to live my life. Uh, when we were in Israel a few weeks ago, I noticed as we go into our hotel, as you're walking into the door of the hotel room, it would be on your right. As you're exiting, it would be on your left. Uh, but there would be this little plastic tube on the, uh, on the door frame, the door frame. And it's called a mezuzah. And inside that little tube, plastic tube, most of them, but it could be made of anything, I suppose. Inside that uh, little tube is a copy of uh, what, the, what the Jews call the, uh, the Shema. It's a portion of Deuteronomy 6 and Deuteronomy 11 uh, uh, about our love for God and that God is the one true living God. And so that is written on one side of a piece of paper. On the other side, they just write one word, Shaddai, which is one of the names of God. They roll that up. It's put in a tube. There's a lot of ceremony around it. A certain kind of person has to write it, and it, it's rolled up a certain way and put in the tube. But it's right there glued to the doorpost. Uh, in fact, uh, mezuzah is Hebrew for doorpost. Uh, the Jews get this from Deuteronomy 6, 9. Write them, speaking of the word of God, write them on the doorpost of your house, which is not really what that verse is talking about, but this is how they, they practice that. And so not every time, but often when you would see a Jewish person walk out of a hotel room, they would uh, kiss their fingers and they would touch the mezuzah. And uh, I wondered every time I saw that, now... Were they really honoring God's word when they did that? Were they thinking, as I leave my house, I want to honor God's word every step of my way. I recognize the, the only truth that I, I can know is the truth of God's word. Is that what they were thinking when they would kiss their hands, their fingers, and touch that tube? Uh, or, or was it just a tradition, just like a good luck thing, like a religious rabbit's foot? Uh, you better touch the tube before you leave the house or something bad will happen to you. And you know, I, I don't know the answer to that question. I, I imagine some of the people that did it were very sincere and, and they paused and they thought about the role of God's word in their life. Uh, but I imagine a lot of them, it's just, uh, it is just a good luck charm. It's just something that they do. It's just part of their culture. When I think about us, we, we're Baptists. We're people of the book. We read our Bibles. We come into a worship service where somebody preaches every time we come in here. This is what we do. But are we really listening to God's word? Are we really saying, how can I honor what I hear and what I read today? Or is this just like some religious rabbit's foot? It's just what I do. It's just a part of the way I was raised. It's just a part of my of my tradition. You see here, uh, the psalmist says that, that God gave them over to their stubborn hearts, but it all started 
when they weren't listening to God. That was number one. The second way that your faith could go adrift is that you embrace other gods. So we're still in Psalm 81. Let's look at the next verse, verse 9. There must not be a strange God among you. You must not bow down to a foreign God. Now, this is just one of the most difficult things for me to understand about the Old Testament, about the people of the Old Testament. Uh, God rescues them and God shows his power to them and his loving kindness to them. But continually, they worship these foreign gods with a little g God. They worship these pagan gods, the God of fertility and the God of good fortune and the God of rain and the God of uh, good crops and the God of the moon and the God of everything. They, they continually run to these foreign gods. And here he says, this is the, the reason one of three, the reason why God has given them over to their stubborn hearts. Now, why would these, these Israelites continue to run to these other gods? Well, I'll tell you why, and, and this will help you understand, help us understand why this was such a serious thing to the Lord. They went to other gods because they didn't believe that the one true living God could meet their needs. I mean, the only reason you'd go to the God of fertility that the Philistines were worshiping or the God of rain or the God of crops or the God of this or that would be because you don't think your God is sufficient. You don't think your God is either powerful enough or good enough to do what's needed in your life. And so you run to other gods. Do you see why? Idolatry is such an offense to the Lord. Those people weren't just adding something to their lives. They were saying something about the worthiness and the power of God. They were saying, God, either you can't do it or you can't be trusted to do it. And so they went to foreign gods. When we turn to things, listen, church, we're not likely to have a statue of the God of rain in our living room, I hope. But we turn to things other than the Lord in order to benefit, in order to receive the blessings that the Lord has promised us. When we turn to other people for our self-esteem, when I turn to other people and their acceptance and their love for me, so I will be satisfied instead of turning to God who loves me, then that's, that's saying that God's love is not enough. When we seek peace from worldly pursuits, when my peace, my worth, my value comes from what I can accomplish in my career or how much money I have or how pretty I am, when I seek those things from worldly pursuits instead of from God, I'm saying, God, I can't trust you with that. When we seek love through sinful sexual expressions, what are we saying? We're saying, I can't trust God. God is either not able or not good enough to meet my needs. And that's idolatry. And that leads the Lord, because he loves us and cares for us, 
to discipline us by giving us over to our stubborn hearts. There's a third thing. Uh, we see this in the, in the 10th verse, forgetting the goodness of the Lord. Look what he says. I am the Lord your God who brought you up from the land of Egypt. Open your mouth wide and I will fill it. Now, the land of Egypt, that's hundreds of years earlier. What, 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 why is the Lord bringing that up? Why is he saying, don't forget, I brought you up from the land of Egypt? Well, there are two things. The Lord, first of all, wants them to remember what he had done for them. The, the way he had rescued them. And, number two, the Lord wanted them to, to think about where they would be were it not for the Lord's goodness. You see, when we forget what the Lord has done for us and we forget where we would be today were it not for God's goodness, that is, that is something that can lead God to give us over to our stubborn hearts. Let, let's just do a little activity here. Let's remember what the Lord has done for us. What's the Lord done for you? What's the Lord done for you? I can tell you the Lord, he has done so much for me. The Lord saved me in my sins. And my life was going in the wrong direction. And I was guilty of all kinds of things that I'm embarrassed to tell you about. And, and there was no hope for me. But the Lord, through just unexpected circumstances, taught me about the grace and the mercy of God. Completely changed my life. That's what the Lord did for me. He rescued me. What has the Lord done for you? And then the second question, where would you be today? Where would you be today had the Lord not rescued you? I mean, the, the implication here, Israelites, don't you know that if, if it weren't for me, you'd still be slaves in Egypt? But I rescued you. I think about all the good things in my life today, my marriage, my church family. I think about my, my kids. I would have none of that. I would still be living in Egypt if God had not shown his kindness to me. See, if we're going to Keep from being given over to our stubborn hearts. We've got to listen to the Lord. We've got to quit worshiping foreign gods. And we need to be thankful. Is your faith adrift? Is your faith adrift? Uh, I'm out of time, but I, I want us to go back to Psalm 81. We spent a lot of time in verse 12, but let's read the verses that follow. Because th there's some good news here. He says, if only my people would listen to me, this is verse 13, if only my people would listen to me and Israel would follow my ways. Can you hear in that the, the heart of the Lord? This is after he's already said, I've given them over. I mean, the, 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 this is what he's saying to those who have already been given over. This is, this is the heart of the Lord for people who, who have already seen their faith go adrift. So if your faith is adrift, what does the Lord think of you? Well, you can see his heart here in verse 13. If only my people would turn. If only, if only. God so desires that you would return. 
Look at verse 14. I would quickly subdue their enemies and turn my hand against their foes. God says, I want to work on their behalf. Verse 15, those who hate the Lord would cower to him. Their doom would last forever. Verse 16 is so interesting. But he would feed Israel with the best wheat. That means that he would satisfy what you've looked for in the world when you ran to your own devices. You'll find the satisfaction with the Lord. And then look at the last phrase. I would satisfy you with honey from the rock. Why doesn't he just say he'd satisfy us with honey? That'd be a good way to end, uh, and, and that would be good news. Honey is sweet, and it's uh, satisfying. And it, um, but he says the honey from the rock. I, I did some studying this week, and we can't be certain what this means, uh, why that last, uh, those last three words from the rock are there. But uh, a lot of Bible scholars believe it's talking about this surprise discovery that often would happen in the deserts when when somebody was separated from his people and he had just gone astray. It's a picture of a faith adrift and he's hungry and he's and he's famished and he doesn't have energy and he looks into a cave to find some shade in the wilderness in the desert. He says, sometimes, these scholars say, sometimes when you go into these caves and you wouldn't know it until you got in there, it would be a surprise. It didn't happen often, but you'd go into the cave and you'd find that the walls of the cave were were honeycomb, where the bees uh, in in the spring season had created this, uh, this comb of honey and all the sweetness would be there. And, and just at the end of your rope, you have been, you have been set adrift from the community. You're about, it, it's almost the end. And you find this surprise treasure in this cave that sustains you. Uh, you know what the honey from the rock is? The honey from the rock is the Lord Jesus Christ. It's a frightening thing when I think about God might set me adrift. God might give me over to my stubborn heart. But how encouraging it is to know that because of Jesus, I can be brought near. Uh, Listen to Ephesians 2.13. Now in Christ Jesus, you who are far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. You see, in the wilderness, you can find the honey hidden in the rock. And it is, it is the love and the forgiveness of Christ. See, that kid lets go of that balloon and it's gone. But if you're adrift and you turn to Christ, he will pull you back in. I'll read just one more passage. We'll close with this. You hear me read this passage often. Uh, James 4, 8. I think I read this passage because I, I have to do this more often than most people. But James 4, 8. Draw near to God. You know what the rest of it is, don't you? Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded Be miserable, mourn, and weep. Confess your sins, repent over your sins. 
Let's, let's recognize we haven't listened to the Lord. Let's recognize we've forgotten him. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will exalt you. Head bowed, eyes closed. Father in heaven, I know that often in our lives, because you love us so deeply, you have given us over to our stubborn hearts. But all is not lost because it's your heart that, we, that we're drawn near to you. Help us to confess our sins, to mourn over our sins, but to let you exalt us in that time. And we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together as we sing.